Well, Christmas is one of those things that just happens to be on our mind everywhere we turn. We keep seeing Christmas things, whether you're here and you're seeing it, whether you're in your home and you're seeing the Christmas things, whether you go out and about and you see Christmas things. That I just want to give you an update on what we're going to do for Christmas Eve this year. We're going to do a Christmas Eve service. In fact, it's going to be broadcast three times. But what's going to be different is that Christmas Eve is just going to be online for us this year. And so Christmas Eve services are going to be at 3 o'clock, at 4.30, and then again at 6 o'clock as an online service only this year. And we're going to be doing it differently than what we've done. We're actually not even going to be here when we're going to be doing our recording. Looking forward to some of the creative things we're going to be doing with that. And I think it's just going to be a special way for us to look at this, doing Christmas Eve at home and doing that together. Well, we've been in this series for six weeks now that we've been looking at faith that works. And uh, we have today, and then we have one more week, and we are going to be finishing this book or this letter originally, a letter that was written, this book called James in our Bible. We've looked at getting through these trials, these ex-trials. We've looked at this idea of finding freedom and how do we find freedom. So many times it seems like the things that we want to have freedom over that ends up getting us in trouble, but yet James talked about, hey, when we do these things, we're going to find a freedom in life that we wouldn't find any other way. We've looked at favoritism, and favoritism that's not just a race issue, it's not just a gender issue, it's not just an age issue, just across the board that that we just wouldn't be people, that, that we would have favoritism toward others, and looked at that and the value of that. We, we looked at this idea of faith and, and, and works and, and the, the, the balance between the two. And when we looked at it, it was, it was a question. And when we asked the question, it was, is faith enough? Here's what's interesting. Within this whole dynamic, what, what ends up happening is somebody that does these works or these deeds, and they're working very hard to, to make sure that they can earn their way into heaven. When, when somebody's at this place, it really doesn't draw them to a greater faith. But yet when somebody has faith, and then they, their, their faith is real, that they, they follow, they found out about Jesus, they, they believed, and then they start to obey the very things that, that Jesus has been teaching, that, that when that happens, and there's that kind of faith, that faith is always accompanied by works. And so it's a faith that works is where we have faith that has works. That's a genuine faith. And we looked at that together. We looked at taming the tongue. We looked at how that's really, it's, it's a hard issue. We don't concentrate on taming our words or taming our tongue or our thumbs. What we're saying, it's a heart issue, and we start with our heart. Last week, we looked at that wisdom and loyalty, and, and, and what's up with wisdom and loyalty? What, what is wisdom? Well, wisdom, it's this culmination of our aptitude, our attitude, and our actions. It's these three things all compiled together, and there's two different types of wisdom we looked at. There's that secular wisdom, and secular wisdom is that thing that it appeals to our senses. Hey, what's going to make me feel good? I, am I going to enjoy that? I, I want that for me. And then there is divine wisdom. And divine wisdom actually appeals to our designer. And so today we're going to look at rotting riches. I mean, there's just nothing pleasant sounding about that at all. Rotting riches. When, when I think of those two words coming together, what I think of is wasted opportunity. These things that are rotting. And, 
And some of us probably grew up in a home, and maybe you carried on the tradition that when there was a kid at the table and, and they weren't eating what was put before them, that, that we would say to them, you know, there are people starving in, and we filled in the country, right? You know, Ethiopia, Africa, whatever we said, because we were trying to motivate them and letting them know, hey, there's people that can't even eat, and you've got food, you should eat it. I, I think about how we end up having so much food at a meal that we have this thing called leftovers in our country, right? And so we have these leftovers, and we take our leftovers, and we'll put them in the fridge, and we'll have intentions about when we're going to get to them. But anybody besides our household ever clear out your fridge and just throw away the rotting leftovers? That it's just, we just, we had good intentions. Yes, we're going to do it then. Something came up. We ended up doing something else. And, and we didn't get to those leftovers, and they just, they just rotted. And see, rotting riches, I, I, when I think of it, it's just this, it's a wasted opportunity. And, and I think about just me and my own life and some of the wasted opportunities that I've had, that I've, I've wasted opportunities to be in a better position financially. Maybe you'd look at your life and go, yeah, I've wasted some of those too. I, I think about the, the wasted opportunities to, to help others and that, that I had some opportunities at times that I just... No, I'm not, I'm not going to. And it, it was a wasted opportunity. Think about some wasted opportunity when it comes to furthering the education, you know, informally and being able to have a, a greater understanding of things and yet wasting that. I think about the wasted opportunity when it comes to improving relationships. That I think if we just look around, we can go, we, we've all been guilty of some wasted opportunities in our life. And as we just keep following through the, this letter that James has, we're going to be looking at this idea of rotting riches. That wasted opportunities are often our greatest regrets, right? That when we think back and we look in the rearview mirror of life, that the greatest regrets that we have more often than anything else, is wasted opportunity. And so we're going to be in James chapter 4 and 5. As we look at this, we're going to look at a couple other verses as well. But, but we're going to be looking at James chapter 4 and chapter 5 today. So we're going to start in verse 13. Look here, you who say, today or tomorrow we are going to a certain town and will stay there a year. We will do business there and make a profit. I mean, it, it, it sounds like somebody's making plans and, and they're doing good and, and that's what they should be doing. And James goes on, he says, how do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? Your life is like the morning fog. It's here a little while and then it's gone. That morning fog, it's just gone. That our life, in other words, it's like a mist. It's, it's like a vapor and then it's just gone. So I, I looked at a, a source, infoplease.com, and, and at this infoplease.com, they were citing the United Nations Human Department report from 2019 that dealt with the lifespan. When you look at the 184 countries, and they dealt the, and they, they ranked every country from the country with the longest to the country with the least. And as you think about that, that country that would have the longest, Probably many of us would be drawn to, it's, it's got to be an Asian country. There's just something about their DNA and their diet. There's just something there that they just tend to live longer than others. And, and it is. It's, it's a country that's it's from Asia, and it would be Hong Kong. 
And Hong Kong has the longest lifespan. In fact, the average lifespan for those that are living in Hong Kong is 84.7 years is how long they live. And that's the average between men and women. It's actually about a six-year spread, so you'd add three years to that to women and subtract three years from that for, for men to see, hey, how long are people living? And then there's the country that has the shortest lifespan. And maybe, maybe our mom was onto something when she was saying there's kids starving in Africa because it's in Africa, it's Central Africa Republic that has the shortest lifespan, and their lifespan is 52.8 years, not even getting to 53 years of age is their average lifespan. And the spread between women who live longer than men is four and a half years. So, so then maybe you might be curious and going, well, what about USA. Where, where, where do we land? You know, we've got to be in there somewhere, right? Because we're one of the countries. And, and, and are they in the top 10? No, we're not in the top 10. Top 20? No, we're not in the top 20. We rank number 35 is where we rank. And that the average lifespan for people in the USA is 78.9 years, almost 79 years and there is almost a five-year spread between women and men, and the women live to be longer than men. You know, when we hear of somebody that's living healthily into their 90s, we're, we're amazed, aren't we? And, and, and when we hear about somebody who's living into their 90s and they're living independently, we're both amazed and we're worried. Right? We get a little worried. You know, is something going to happen to them? Is somebody, if, if something happens to them, how long is it going to be before somebody knows and somebody's going to be able to take care? And, and so, but, 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 but we're, in, we're, we're going, this is amazing when somebody lives into their 90s, but when they're living independently, there really is. There's this worry that ends up coming along with it. That, that in, in my own family, my mom's dad and my dad's mom both lived well into their 90s. That they, they really desired to make it all the way to 100, but neither one of them made it to 100. Both of them, when they were 90 years old, were living independently in their own home. And it is. It's one of those, we're just going, wow, wow, that's, that's amazing. But to have somebody that makes it all the way to 100, I mean, it's just like, wow. And, and then there's even a few people that will make it all the way to that 110 or then those one teens, and there's not very many out there that, that do that, but it's still, still like, wow, that is a long life. It's an amazing accomplishment. And, and we start to think, wow, how could somebody live that long? And we start thinking about it in terms of, wow, that's really long. In fact, for most of us, for most of our lifetime, the person that is recorded as living the longest is Jean Calment. And Jean Calment she lived to be 122 years old. She passed in 1997, but, but she lived to be 122 years old. And, and some would hear that and go, that, that is a long time. But when you compare eternity to our life, it is like a morning fog. It's like a mist 
It's like a vapor. And then it is gone. And it's why we should live our short, temporary life with our long, eternal life in mind. That we should live this life, it's short and it's temporary, with our long, eternal life in mind. Because we are all going to exist. Our soul, we're going to go on living in eternity. We're all going to live and exist in eternity. But there are two different zip codes. There's either heaven or there's hell. And we're going to live in one of them for all of eternity. And, and this being a short life and there being a long eternal life, that shouldn't be a confusing thought to those people who are Christians, who are Christ followers, who understand the value, <coughs> who understand the value of I've bowed the knee of my heart, that, that I, I followed, I believe, I obeyed Jesus, I'm living for him, and I know that's coming. But, but for somebody that they're going, I still just don't know what to believe about life, and I don't know where to turn and what, what, what's true and what's not. That there's some people, that they're, they're confused, and, and they even think this life is all we get, and it's not. And it's one of the things that James is going to address here. So let's continue reading chapter 4, verse 15, as he gives us this perspective when it comes to considering future opportunities. He says, what you ought to say is, if the Lord wants us to, we will live and we will do this or do that. You know, I, I don't think there's much of a 40s and under that, that, that has this phrase that seems like those that are 60 and older, it seems like it's a much more common phrase with, with that age group. And, and, and there's this phrase that, that they would say, and, and the phrase was, and still is, Lord willing. It's this, it's this Lord willing, there's this understanding of, hey, if God allows it. It's, it's this Lord willing. And, and that's what James is saying. If the Lord wants us to, then we will live and we will do this or do that. It's a perspective that says, hey, what's God up to? Verse 16, he says, otherwise you are boasting of your own pretentious plans and all such boasting. It's evil. So you're just focusing on you or what you're able to do, what you think you're going to accomplish, and, and you're just dismissing God. It's, it's, he says it's evil. He says, remember, it is a sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. That would be a sin. And so once we know what we, then we ought to do it. I think few ways reveal spiritual maturity of believers more or even as much as the way that we handle money. Now, don't mishear me because I'm not saying how much money we get to handle. That, that, that's not a measurement of where we're at spiritual maturity-wise. It's of the money that we get to handle. That, that few ways reveal as much spiritual maturity as what the way that we handle money, the way that we manage our money. In generosity or greed is discovered with a financial audit of our resources. That, that if there's somebody that, that gets to take a look and go, hey, what, what have you been doing? Let, let's trace it. Let's see where you're at. What are they going to find? Are they going to find that there's, there's greed? It's, you just keep, it's just all about you, isn't it? And maybe a little bit about who you love. Or is it 
wow, you, you, really, you really care for others. Wow, you, you, you really give and you really do live on less than what you bring home. That I, I just think that it's one of the things that reveals so much about who we are. You know, I think, um, I think if you were to get asked the question, would you like to be rich? I think most of us would be going, yeah, yeah. I, th- I think there's very few people that would say, nah, that, that, that doesn't interest me at all. I, I think there's some out there, but, but I think it's very few who would say, no, no, that, that doesn't interest me at all. And there was a wise guy that once said, they say it's better to be poor and happy than rich and miserable. You know, and, and, and we've heard that, right? And it's like, yeah, yeah, we, we, we get that. Yeah, we hear that. But the same guy that took notice of this, they say it's better to be poor and happy than rich and miserable. He also wonders, but couldn't we work something out to be moderately wealthy and just a little moody, right? And, and I think about that and I think, wow, it, is that where most of us land? It's like, I, we don't, most of us here, we're not thinking, I just need to have a gazillion dollars. I just need to have that seven-story house. We, we don't think like that, most of us. But we go, hey, I, I, I'd like to be moderately wealthy, you know, and, and I could put up with just a, being a little moody in order for me to be moderately wealthy. See, it, it gives us this perspective of what we think about about money. I, I, I've noticed as I've driven around for all of my years that, that there's a theology that's out there. And, and, and the theology that's out there, I'm going to call it bumper sticker theology. That where, where you've got these bumper stickers and they're, they're saying things and they are declaring things. In fact, I, I've got a particular bumper sticker that, that I, I want you to see and that we're going to take notice of. He who dies with the most toys wins. That, that it's, just, it's just one of those stickers that's just kind of floating out there. Maybe you've seen it before. Maybe you haven't, but it's, it's actually out there and, and people will have this. And you, you never see this bumper sticker on a beater car. You, you, you never see it on this hoop. You never see it on a car that, that's being held together. There's some wire, and, and there's this clear tape over the brake lights, you know, that's red already. So it's gonna, you don't see it on those cars. You always see it on a nicer ride. In fact, I, I've only seen it on nice pickup trucks. I, I've not seen it. I don't, I don't mean to pick on anybody that's got a pickup truck, but that's, that's the only vehicle I've ever seen this on, and I've seen it a few times. And it is. It, it's on pickup trucks, and and sometimes it might be on a pickup truck and there's already some toys in that truck as it's driving down the road. It's always a newer truck. It looks nice. Oftentimes it's jacked up, you know, but maybe it's pulling a trailer with some toys too. But, but there is a belief out there of he who dies with the most toys wins. That there's a belief out there that there are people that are saying, Hey, you know what, with my life, no matter how long I live, life is short, let me make the most of it, and I'm just going to acquire, 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 and if I can get them, I'm going to win. 
And for some people, if they had an audit of their finances, it would quickly reveal their greed and the way that they just try, keep trying to acquire for themselves. But Jesus had something to say that goes directly against that. And what he had to say was, and what do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but you lose your own soul? What do you benefit? What do you benefit if you get to take in this lifetime, even if you can make it to a hundred years, what do you benefit if you gain so much in this lifetime that you get to have and to hold and to play with and to use? But you forfeit your soul. You lose your soul because you made the things, the possession and the money. You made that your God pursuit. That's my God. That's what I'm pursuing. That's what I'm worshiping. So, so as we look at this, Mark chapter 8, we'll look at verse 36 and 37. So here it is, Jesus saying, and what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but you lose your own soul? That's a big, heavy, honking question. But Jesus, in this next verse, uses seven words to ask an even bigger question. Is anything worth more than your soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? This thing, your soul, who you are, it is going to exist in all of eternity. Is anything worth more than your own soul? That finishes this whole look and thought when it comes to what James had to say in chapter 4. And we're going to jump into chapter 5. And, and what's really interesting with James, when we look at this letter that he wrote, over and over and over again, what we keep seeing James say is he keeps saying, dear brothers and sisters. That's what the NLT says. Another translation might say, dear friends. Another translation, <coughs> sorry, another translation might just say, dear brothers. That that he keeps saying it over and over and over again as he keeps writing to encourage us or maybe even call us out on the carpet for something. But as he begins this thought in chapter 5, he doesn't start that way. In fact, let me tell you before we even get here and start reading it, what I really believe is, is going on. And I'm not alone. Most, most scholars even would believe this too. That this letter that was originally written to believers, that James deviates from that for this short little period of time, and instead of writing directly to believers, he's going to be writing to those that don't believe in Christ, that they don't live for Christ. And he's going to write directly to them, and he's going to have some things to say to them about this rotting riches and their wealth and the way that they've hoarded it and the way that they've wasted it. And it's an opportunity for those that are believers to just kind of eavesdrop on what's being said to those that are completely missing the boat on what they're doing with their wealth. And so keep that in mind as we begin to look and, and see what James has to say here. Chapter 5, starting in verse 1. Look here, you rich people. Weep and groan with anguish because of all of the terrible troubles ahead of you. Not exactly encouragement. But, but he definitely gets their attention with this look here, 
We know who he's talking to. You rich people, and, and the wealth isn't the problem. We're going to see that. The wealth isn't the problem. Weep and groan with anguish because of all the terrible troubles ahead of you. Verse 2, your wealth is rotting away, and your fine clothes are moth-eaten rags. They've got all this wealth, and they're buying the finest of things, but it's just, they're rags now. James is the half-brother of Jesus. And if you've been with us, you've, you've heard me say that, but maybe you're just now joining us. He's the half-brother of Jesus. They had the same mom, Mary, but Jesus was divinely born, and the Heavenly Father is his dad. Joseph was an earthly father figure raising him. And James's dad was Joseph. James didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah, the Christ, the chosen one, the anointed one, the Son of God. Didn't believe he was part of God. All of Jesus and James' life, there was no belief there. Even when Jesus gave his life on the cross, James still didn't believe. James didn't believe until he saw his brother risen from the dead. That's when he believed. And then he starts thinking about all of the things and the teachings that, that Jesus had done and said. And I think about this teaching that must have been going through his mind when he was writing this letter that Jesus taught this. It's recorded in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21. And Jesus said, Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them, and where thieves break in and steal. Don't, don't, don't be doing that. Don't, don't store up your treasures here on earth. And then he says, store your treasures in heaven. Okay, so there, there's something there. He, he wouldn't be telling us that if that wasn't possible. Store your treasures in heaven, where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Thieves aren't getting past those pearly gates. It's not happening. It is going to be the safest, most secure place where there will be no fear of anything. And he says, store your treasures there. There's something about the joy that we find in this lifetime and in serving God and the way that we serve others that gets to put our treasures in heaven. And the final thing that Jesus said in this thought is wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. That, that where your treasures is, it's going to be really easy. Hey, when you find out, hey, what is somebody? That's where their heart. That's where their heart is. So let's get back to James chapter five, verse three. It says your gold and silver are corroded. The very wealth you were counting on will eat away your flesh like fire. The corroded treasure you have hoarded will testify against you on the day of judgment. It, it's some pretty strong language here. What I think James is, is really saying is wealth without God is only a short-term benefit. That wealth without God and just saying, hey, I'm just going to use this and I'm going to try to make the most of life and what I get to do and I'm, 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 I want the most toys. It's only a short-term 
benefit when we try to do life and managing the resources without God. Verse 4, for listen, hear the cries of the field workers whom you've cheated out of their pay because of the greed. The cries of those who harvest your fields have reached the ears of the Lord of heaven's armies. And he's going to have compassion on them. Verse 5, you have spent your years on earth in luxury, satisfying your every desire. You have fattened yourself for the day of slaughter. There's a warning in here that we all need to heed. And the warning is don't pursue possessions more than you pursue God. Another way to look at the warning, the don't desire money more than you desire God. Let's not be chasing wealth more than what we're chasing to understand and be close to God. Verse 6, you have condemned and killed innocent people who do not resist you. You know, we, we find instruction in our Bible to provide for our family and provide for ourselves. So yes, we, we should be doing this, but there's also teaching throughout God's Word that condemns the hoarding of money and possession and just trying to stockpile it all up. And you have to look at the balance of how do we balance out the way that we deal with money. That's, that's what we've got to do. That we balance all of that out. And that one of the ways that, that I believe that we're to balance it out is, is teachings that we find in both the Old Testament and in the New Testament. And it's these two words, tithes and offerings. And they're actually two different things, tithes and offerings. And that tithe, tithe actually has a specific amount attached to it. Offerings do not. That, that tithe is a word of measurement, and it means tenth. And then that's what God has outlined as the minimum standard that anybody who's a believer, a Christ follower, that, that, that we would give that back to God, that, that we go, hey, here's what's coming in. We're going to live on this because we're giving this to God, this, this 10%. That's, that's the tithe. And then there's the offering. What's the offering? The offering is when we give above and beyond the tithe. And, and, and we give to, to special things. And I, and I have to tell you, this has been an incredibly encouraging year at Crosspoint to see the way that people of Crosspoint have been treating their generosity. That, that this has been our most generous year that we've ever seen in the way that people are just supporting our ministry as a whole. That, that Corey was sharing earlier that, that, that we have every gift spoken for of the gifts that we wanted to give to help kids with our My Christmas project. Last week, last week we rolled out for the first time this year, we do it every year, but, but we rolled out our My Christmas offering. It's only been a week. And, and we already have received tens of thousands of dollars towards our My Christmas offering that people are saying, we want to give. We want to help that adult teen challenge. We, we, we want to help women 
that, that, that they're really struggling and considering abortion, or we want to help a ministry that's going to help them see that there's a life inside of you and that there's hope for that, and we are even willing to support you. We'll, we'll partner with you. And just to be able to help with our own needs in our community. That, that, that clearly, when I, when I see just what's happened, there, there are so many that, that this talk should just be a feel-good talk for you because you're going, I've, I've grown there, I've gotten that, I'm living that out. But there might be some that they're hearing this and going, I, man, I've got, a, I've got a way to go. I'm going to say this humbly. I, I don't mean it with any kind of arrogance. Cheryl and I have been tithing and giving offerings our entire marriage. And I'm, I'm not, I just want you to, I'm just trying to be transparent and share with you that this is a value that we live out. I, I was somebody that I was taught while I was growing up in my home the value of giving God the first tenth. And before I ever even had my first formal job, the little things that I was doing to make money, I was giving God a tenth. And it just stuck with me. I just did it. But I, if I'm being honest with you, I'll, I'll tell you it took me a while to grow to the point where I was willing to give offerings. I, for, for the longest time, I, I was like, I'm giving a tenth. That's pretty generous. And, and now let me have fun. And let me. And it took me a while. It took me too long to grow into being somebody that would give offerings. You know, there's another guy that has contributed to so much of our New Testament whose story isn't that much different than James. It didn't, didn't believe in Jesus, was alive when Jesus was alive, but didn't believe in him. And he didn't believe in him until he had a supernatural encounter with the resurrected Christ. His name is Paul. And one of the things that Paul had to say about money is found in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10. And he says, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. This gets so misquoted. And it gets misquoted way too many times. And how it gets misquoted is this way. Money is the root of all evil. That's how it gets quoted. But money is not the root of evil. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. You know, I think in America, in our own culture, it's not just the love of money. I think it's the love of credit. And I, I, I think it's just as dangerous. This love of credit. I, I love having credit. And I, oh, I, I love that I can get that and I don't have to pay it back. I've got two whole years. I've got three whole years. I, Five years to pay. And, and, and we love the things and we go, I can't afford it right now, but let me. And it's the love of credit that can get us in the same kind of trouble. James addresses the worthlessness of wealth. But he doesn't say that there is a worthlessness of the wealthy. What he's addressing is the worthlessness of wealth. When, when you try to make that be more than it was ever intended to be, it is worthless. 
and some who never put their faith in God and in this short life that they think, maybe if I can live a long 80-something years and I can acquire something, they put too much stock in it. So as we look at what James is addressing and what he's saying, one of the things that I think is important for us to grasp is that one's net worth and self-worth should never be attached to each other. So they should never be attached to each other. In fact, let me, <clears throat> let me demonstrate it. That our net worth should never be attached to our self-worth. But I think people are guilty of doing this at times. I, I think they get guilty of doing this, and sometimes they do it in a way that they go, hey, I'm, I'm doing pretty good. I, I, I'm making a lot, you know. And I, I think about what I heard just last week with LeBron James signing an extension on his contract for $85 million dollars. That's a lot of net worth. And it can be really tempting for somebody that's got that kind of scratch to go, well, my self-worth is based on my net worth. And it's not. I, I think it's just as tempting for somebody whose piggy bank's pretty empty. It's tempting for them to feel like their heart is empty. And that they don't have much of a self-worth because they don't have much stuff. These two things were never meant to be attached to each other. And it might be painful to try to figure out a way to separate these from your life. So to where they are not seen as something that you're going, yep, that's, that's what I believe. And that is something that I go, my net worth and my self-worth, they're just attached to each other. They should never be attached. I love how Dave Ramsey spoke to this once, and I got to hear him say this. He said, our marketplace worth has nothing to do with our self-worth. So our marketplace worth is just, hey, what is it that you're able to do to help somebody else make more? And so they're willing to pay you that because of what you're able to do for them. That's your marketplace worth. And it has nothing to do with your self-worth. The guys, we're, we're valuable. How valuable are we? We're, we're so valuable that God sent his son Jesus to die a painful death on a cross to pay for our sins. That is how much we are worth. Money is not the problem. That money in itself is not the problem. It's the attitude about money that can be the problem. It's our attitude. And our attitude determines what, what our actions are going to be. And money doesn't have to be a problem. That, that, that we can be generous instead of greedy. That, that, that we can give, and we can give in such a way that, that we take heed to what Jesus said of storing up your treasures in heaven. That in our culture... We, we have this economy where money's needed for food and for clothing, for shelter, for transportation. And yet when we look at ministries, it's a resource that, that ministries need to be able to make a big impact in the lives of others. That money is a necessary resource to reach seekers and to build believers. 
Don't just use people to collect more for yourself. Don't, don't do that. That was the warning. That was what James was talking about in chapter 5, what they're doing. Hey, they're just using people to get more for themselves. But instead, understand that using your resources to serve God and others creates relational riches that never rot. That's the storing treasures in heaven. That it's using your resources to serve God and to serve others. That creates relational riches that will never rot. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, you certainly know that which is where each and every one of us, where we're at, when it comes to how we are managing the resources that you are giving. And for some, it's a very difficult and hard time right now. For others, it's still a time of plenty. But God, I pray that you would just help us to, to depend on you and not depend on ourselves. God, I pray that you'd help us to, to find the joy that we can't find any other way if we, don't, if we don't give generously back to you and to the cause that you're part of. And I pray that, that we would be willing to do that, that we would even grow even more in it and to find a joy in life that we can't find any other way. Jesus, lead us to that so that we have relational riches that will never rot. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.